0: Hello and welcome to episode two of Shifting the Needle. In this episode, I speak with Afir Dori, the founding director of the Eagle Network, whose work has led to the arrest of over 2,000 wildlife traffickers across Africa. Through this issue, we explore many challenges hindering development, including corruption, weak legal institutions, and the role of organized crime. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Thanks so much for taking some time. I'm a bit inspired Mm -hmm. from working here for eight years as a consultant on different projects. Friends at home always ask me, what's happening in Uganda? What's happening in Africa? Why (laughs) why isn't development changing? So I've been inspired to start this podcast to kind of share some of these stories, and especially the really interesting people who are doing important work, um, such as yourself. And so I, I really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, Text. I think it's yeah. just amazing in in Cameroon alone, there had been zero arrests. And if I understand right, now there's been uh, close to 200 or maybe more of wildlife traffickers in yeah, just yeah. Cameroon by, alone.
1: By now, by now, just in Cameroon, we have more than 350 traffickers that wow. we manage to put behind bars. And, and nowadays, you know, we, we just climb the chain. So you said 2,000, it's, it's now closer to 2,000, you know, 2,500 Major traffickers we managed to put in jail in all the, our different countries together. And, and, and many of them are people who are army captains and generals and, and, and police officers and police commissioners uh, that we put in jail. And, uh, and politicians we managed to put in jail. Even even a wildlife director, the person in charge of the entire wildlife management of his country, uh, we managed to put in, uh, in, in jail wow. um, Drug drug traffickers, uh, heads of, of criminals, syndicates, the Vietnamese, Chinese, um, Europeans. For now, we really slowly, slowly managed to get into more important level of this, uh, of this organized trade, and all this.
0: And it, it's amazing yeah. your your approach. First of all, like what you've achieved two hundred, two um, thousand five hundred or more arrests across Africa. And your approach is quite unique. Other organizations focus on conservation or focus on trying to bring in more tourists to make a economic incentive to local populations to, to protect uh, wildlife. But your approach is different. It's strengthening legal frameworks, doing investigations, and leading to arrests. I, I find it really interesting that you're willing... Um, to be this type of activist and go out there, and I'm sure it's um, at times dangerous and risky work. Can, can you tell me a little bit about your approach and, and how it's working?
1: First of all, for me, it was, uh, as an outsider, striking and was seen not just in Cameroon, but in almost all the countries we were, were going in later. But it was a symptom of a sick system, mm-hmm. of a system that is trying to avoid real indicators of success or failure. Is ignoring the first obstacle of their work, which is corruption, because corruption doesn't, doesn't just hit the enforcement system. It also hits uh, the same wildlife officer that is supposed to work with you on tourism, it is the same person who is supposed to, is the same uh, public officials who are working on, um, on promoting or on trying to avoid uh, timber exploitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those issues, one by one, If you don't deal with corruption heads on and you just ignore it, you're not only uh, ineffective, you're basically fueling the same corrupt system. Because that stolen money are not just money absorbed and lost. It is also the same money that is amplifying, proliferating the corrupt system, is giving it a stronger foothold and is diverting it completely away from their normal objectives because stealing money is a full-time job. So also an officer, whether this officer is an agricultural officer, whether this officer is a wildlife officer, whether this officer is a health officer. Mm-hmm. Because in the health system, in the health, in the health development aid, there's far more corruption than there is even on wildlife. All each one of them is, is not just a hole in the bucket of development. It is basically uh, amplifying and, and making it stronger this corrupt system. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a good image of, uh, of corruption and aid, it says that you know, aid is like fuel. If you are, uh, if you have a good car, and you put it inside, the car can work, go. But if you have, if you have, is a burning house. Fuel is making it far, far, far worse. Sure. And that's basically yeah. the bigger context of the bigger context of that kind of like the fighting corruption kind of uh, approach that that we have.
0: So corruption is the major gap and one of the driving um, forces behind this. People want to get get money, however they can. It can be illegal trading of uh, timber. It can be human trafficking, and in in your case, yeah. um, I- illegal wildlife trafficking. But what what's really driving the demand? I, I find also interesting when I talk to my friends in the U.S. They think, "Oh, it's Africans, you know, out there." Some part of it is. Some people yeah. are, are are hunting for meat, and there's a legal trade there. But a lot of them are wanting to have the financial gains of... The illegal trade, and it's, it's supported by an enormous crime network. The same people who might be involved with money laundering or, or drugs or human trafficking also are involved in this because there's an enormous amount of money involved. But can you tell me a little bit about this? Who's driving the demand?
1: There is, it's a criminal world. But if to give you the typical uh, situation, I would say let's just take one criminal. A syndicate, you know, and we managed to, to crack down on at least three big ones. And a typical criminal syndicate is having one foot in Asia and one foot in Africa is, is, is mafia. It is not a demand or supply because they do both. Like a multinational. Multinational is not built on, on demand or supply. There is no such dichotomy. Mm. Uh, when you buy your mobile phone, uh, I have uh, iPhone 6. Mm -hmm. So I didn't wake up in the morning and say, I have a demand for iPhone 6, just like the Chinese didn't wake up in the morning and says, I want ivory, okay? Somebody had to advertise, somebody has to supply it, somebody had to drill in my head. You know what you really need is the iPhone 6. It's new, it's just out, okay? I wouldn't know and I wouldn't have that need in iPhone 6. I wouldn't know it at all. And that's how multinationals work, right? They work on the supply and they work on the demand. The same company, that is doing the supply is the one that is creating and propagating the demand. Demand is not fixed. Uh, and, 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 and criminal syndicates work in the exact same way. They have one foot here, one foot there. They do the supply, they do the demand. The same criminal syndicate, and I'll give you an example of, of one of them, the tank syndicate, having one foot in Asia, one foot in, uh, in Africa, it was um, um, employing hundreds of poachers Every one or two months, you would get from that around 600 tasks. That's 300 killed elephants. Just from this one crime family. Every month? the empire they have built. Every month. Wow. One criminal syndicate. Okay? They were active from the 80s. This is not a new phenomenon. Hmm. This is an old phenomenon. Most of the criminal syndicates we were we managed to dismantle, they were active from the 80s and working over decades. They were employing Dozens of corrupt generals, mayors, ministers, colonels, as a part of their ongoing operation. This is not a demand supply. People who are trying to buy ivory from somebody else. Uh, it's, not, uh, uh, it's not a random bribing of someone. This is a criminal organization. It's a mafia. Um, stretching over, over, at least, you know, in this example, six countries and others far more. Uh, one foot in, 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 in the African continent, one foot in Asia, and a simple calculation of how many, how many um, uh, elephants have been slaughtered by this specific family from the 80s up to the time that we managed to dismantle this, uh, criminal, uh, uh, this criminal syndicate is mm. 36,000 elephants. Jeez. Now, if we're lucky... In the elephants we think we have right now, that represents 10% of all the elephant populations surviving now. Hmm. So imagine one criminal family, one criminal family, and their entire endeavor, their entire criminal enterprise that has been growing over the years is in charge of slaughtering around 10% of all living elephants right now, one family. That's how organized crime works. And that's what we're after. Uh, that that is what we're really trying to get, and we got three such syndicates dismantled, <clears throat> um, and we're, we're we keep on uh, striving striving for more. But it's organized crime is the same the same criminal syndicate that is gaining millions every month from this from this uh, criminal activity. Mm. Those millions are now reinvested both in the, the, the both in the supply what you call the supply in South Africa, and both in the demand, propagating the demand, mm-hmm. the outlets, the, the, the infrastructure, getting it out there. And that's how, you know, that's 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 the, the myth of the, the economy between supply and demand in the in the in the illegal trade business, that's what I'm trying to now contradict it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, to balance this. having that said, you're saying what is it what is it if if, if you ask it in a simpler way? It's okay. okay well okay fine, I got it, but what is it used for? Uh-huh. And I would say, in the U.S., for example, uh, le- leopards are being completely slaughtered in Africa, uh, and a lot of it is going to the U.S. Lion skins and our lions are completely uh, disseminated. We have countries that have lost their lion's populations while we're still working entirely. So lion skins is, is another uh, thing that finds its way to the U.S. Uh, in Europe, we'll have more of of live animals, we have baby chimps arriving to Spain. We had, we had uh, African great parrots, which are really overexploited and disappearing, moving to Europe. Uh, an example of a trafficker that we, we arrested in Benin with 300 pythons, uh, mm-hmm. all this was destined to Europe. Mm-hmm. I think that the Asian, the Chinese kind of side is, is, is already known, yeah. um, but it's not only China, it's Europe, it's the US, you can find ivory getting to the U.S. as well. It's an international trade, and they keep on trying to, to propagate those markets and to make sure that, that it gets into, into a diverse market.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, we never consider, or at least I don't, um, how the U.S. is also involved in this or, or in Europe, and, and clearly they are. Where, where are you seeing successes? What's making a difference? What's working in your work that can change this?
1: Uh, the impact of uh, of enforcement is clear. Mm-hmm. From lack of enforcement to getting, getting traffickers behind bars, uh, you, you, get, you, you, you see and you get that impact. We see that when we get to a new country and, and traffickers are recorded through our undercover investigators saying, I ran out of this country, this country is now having enforcement, we are now trying to get to this new country. So the stories from the traffickers tell it all, and, and their behaviors are changing or at least shifting uh, to other places that do not have enforcement, and that is a pretty clear kind of impact. But I think the real impact that we have is in the fight against corruption. Mm-hmm. I remember when we, got, when we got the first governor behind bars, uh, and it was in Gabon, the, the impact was talked about in all the neighboring countries, and that was you know, huge, and everybody said, well, look, the first governor we ever heard of has ever got into jail in this entire sub-region, and for what? For so wildlife, that has that that has an impact. When you try to get the bigger people and you manage to get them behind bars, you kind of like break the notion of impunity, and and that is maybe the biggest impact. But I think you know we are we're fortunate that we are able to use the wildlife field to make a far bigger point, which is that if you prove to people that something can be done, we, we make a small island, a island against corruption in what is a dysfunctional system. But when you show that this is possible, you give people hope. Mm-hmm. You tell them, hey, if this is possible, a lot of other things are possible. Mm-hmm. If a governor can get to jail, then, then they are not that powerful. Yeah. Then the impunity notion is not always there. Mm-hmm. If we're able to get the governor to jail for that, we can get him for something else. And I think that is for us in the impact on, on corrupt, on the biggest uh, societal issues, is, is, is what is the most satisfying for us, which means that you get people some hope that, um, that if you are able to do that, a lot of things can be different in their lives and in their futures. And I think that is a key for, uh, for change.
0: I, I know you are in the middle of an ongoing investigation and you probably need to get back to that. So I, I just have one or two more questions, if it's okay, with your time. Yeah. One, I'm really curious about the the COVID lockdown situation. More people have been desperate during this period in in Africa, all over the world, uh, to find a way to uh, get some income. Also with lockdowns and all these health concerns, uh, legal enforcement has been kind of turning a blind eye to a lot of other crime that's happening. Are you seeing during this period of COVID, have you seen an increase in wildlife crime or has it gone down or is it hard to tell?
1: Uh, There's different factors here. First of all, yes, I did mention that, you know, we talk about wildlife. Our statistics is from all that we do, the work that we do, is that 85% of all of our arrest operations, we are documenting and fighting uh, corruption attempts. 85%, imagine how dysfunctional is a police force that 85% of the time doesn't produce law and order, okay? The court system, our statistics is pretty much similar. 80%, 80% of all of our cases, we can tell you who is trying to bribe who and how. 80%. So 80% of of the cases in the justice system do not produce justice. It's amazing Mm. to think about how dysfunctional the system is. And that is not just for wildlife, it's a far larger problem. You could pick up any law that you want and you'll find the same thing. During the COVID, we had different kind of factors moving in. The first factor is that it was becoming much more costly to move merchandise across the border. The cost of doing business was far more. I said more because it is forbidden. Africa, unlike unlike Europe, unlike the US, was adopting very stiff, strong regulations from the the start Uh, and even stiffened those regulations (laughs) during the, the pandemic. And that meant that it is illegal for you to move across the border. Um, of course you can because you bribe, but that means that the cost of doing business is far higher across the border. So that, that was a factor that was limiting the illegal trade. Uh, the other factor on the other side is a factor where every time there is a crisis, everyone, and in that criminals as well, are trying to liquidate everything that they have. They're trying to get money fast because when, when you have uncertainty, you really don't sit on on anything. You want to try to get the money fast and have it in your pocket, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. And these are two factors that are kind of like balancing each other in a way, but there was another aspect here. And the aspect was the migration of law enforcement to corruption. The corona pandemic was opening up golden opportunities for corrupt police officers because enforcing enforcing the masks, enforcing things in workplaces, enforcing uh, rules on transport and all these things was now gold for corrupt police officers. And that migrated a lot of their activities away from actual law enforcement to what gives them an opportunity for fast gain. So that was an unfortunate thing. So the, the overall enforcement was, uh, w- was far lower during this pandemic. So these are different factors that were it. But in, th- in the end of the day, I would say criminal Criminals did not change a lot their behavior mm-hmm. during this time. Our work was far harder because of all the regulations and enforcement. And police forces were, were far more distracted than doing any basic law enforcement work.
0: Really interesting. My final thing is um, for people who are listening, how could they be more involved with you? How would you like to see people who are interested to be engaged with your work?
1: Oh, look, our work is tough. It is dangerous. It is in the field. My general message here is of activism, is that us and our teams, our African teams, are activists. There are people who are thinking that when you see something that is wrong, what you think that needs to, to change, you look at it as your own personal responsibility, whether it is wildlife, or whether it is uh, you know something that is in your neighborhood that you hate. Uh, and I think that, that all of us, all of us out there, are annoyed by this kind of thing, say, shit, this is happening, why? This is wrong. But we kind of, like, move on. Because, yeah. oh, well, somebody has to do that. Politicians, the the, the municipality, the, the mayor. You know, and we kind of, like, minimize our own personal responsibilities to shape our our environment, to shape our, our communities, and the power we have to do that. I think my story, if anything, shows the power of the individual. It's far more than than, than people would imagine. Mm-hmm. So well, I think the major, the major, major take here is to say, well, look, if you like that story and say, wow, this is fantastic, then rather than thinking about Africa and wildlife and a chimp, you can think about what's happening next door, about the things that are, you know, that are, that are, for each one of us, the things that are that we want to change, mm-hmm. that we feel strongly against, and try to do something with that emotion and that kind of, like that, uh, that kind of anger do something positive from it. It's not about changing the world. It's about doing some small things in the right direction, about doing our own share.
0: Thank you for listening. That concludes episode two of Shifting the Needle, my interview with Afir Dori, the director of The Eagle Network. To find out more, see the description of this episode with links to his organization and the work that he does. And continue to follow me as I explore more issues hindering Uganda's development. In the next episode, I speak with the UN Capital Development Fund on issues of governance in Uganda. Bye, until next time.